Welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host, Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influence them. Today I have with me yet another incredible guest. I never fail to bring you interesting, exciting people, and I've succeeded once again. This beautiful, ethereal creature you see on my screen today, her name is Kate Wiseman. And I met Kate while I lived in Hong Kong, and that makes Kate my second international guest, but my very first guest from Hong Kong. The way I met Kate is we both belong to the American Women's Association, and I'm giggling as I say that as I recall us getting in trouble at a board meeting once. <laughs> Somebody sad. actually said to us, because we were like, they're like, do I have to separate you two? And we got kind of hysterical about that. Uh, but anyway, Kate started a spiritual literacy book club. And I was very, very intrigued. Well, first of all, just being in a book club was exciting. But spiritual literacy, for those of you that have listened all along, you know that I'm on my spiritual journey here. Uh, I've had some really good conversations about it. So um, Kate is a natural fit for that part of my life. That's all I'm going to tell you about her because I could never do her justice for all the impact on so many women she's had. So Kate, first of all, hello, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mary Barber. It's such a pleasure to be with you. And, and for my people, so some people will only listen to the podcast, but some people actually watch the video. For those of you watching the video, I just want you to pause for a moment and just take in her, the whole setting. I mean, this is, the sun is streaming in gently. She's got this beautiful pink or rose-colored candle lit in the background. She's dressed in white. I mean, she looks like an angel. In the meantime, you know, I'm half in the dark. It's winter here. So I've got the, and it's nighttime because we're a 13 hour time difference. So first thing in the morning for her, late at night for me. But I also just think metaphorically, pretty accurate. I'm a little in the dark and she's, you know, blossoming in the light. So Kate, what I would love for you to do is tell us anything you would like uh, listeners to know about you, anything at all, and then launch us over into your inspiration for the Spiritual Literacy Book Group. Okay, thank you. What a wonderful introduction. I wish everybody saw me in that light, Mary <laughs> You wish every time you walked in a room, people stopped and were like, and here she is. That's right. The ethereal <laughs> Kate Wiseman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is that um, I have lived in Hong Kong for over 30 years. So amazing. And back in the, the late 1980s, when this place was still um, a British colony, my husband and I set out to come here for a couple of years for the adventure of our newlywed lives. And four children later, and 30 plus years later, here we are. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and so the first, we were, we've actually been here two different occasions, the first time for 20 years and the, the second time for 10. Mm. So the first time I'm, um, I'm a trained MSW social worker mm -hmm. and the area of my work um, developed into adoption. And so that first sort of experience in Hong Kong was helping to develop um, an organization which has now become a registered charity in mm -hmm. Hong Kong, Adopted Families of Hong Kong. We've adopted our first two children. We have a beautiful um, ethnically Chinese daughter and son. K 
can't call them children anymore as my daughter has now become 30 years old and both of them are married. Incredible. Uh, and so um, my first 20 years, really my life, my passion um, really revolved around my family and adoptive families of mm -hmm. Hong Kong. And then we had a short stint in New York and found ourselves back in Hong Kong for this last decade. <clears throat> a friend of mine said, if you could do anything, anything you wanted this next journey back in Hong Kong, because I'd mentioned, you know, I've been there, done that with, you know, I was a member of a women's choir. I was, of course, um, very involved with adoptive families, but I didn't feel a calling to go back and retrace my old life. I wanted to make a new. So she said, if you could do anything, my mind immediately went to a book I had read, I'm sure 10 years before that moment, called the Yaya Sisterhood. Do you remember oh. that book? Did you ever read, read that book? Uh, I don't know if I read it, but I know when you say that, it's very familiar to me. I don't, did we read it in our group? No, 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 no. But no. this book, I remember having it in, it, it might not even be called the Yaya Sisterhood. It might have a longer title, but it was around this sisterhood called the Yaya Sisters. Is it, that's not the traveling pants, right? That's not the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Oh, no, it's pants not the traveling different. pants, but it's, it might be the, it's something along those so, lines. But the yeah, yeah, sisterhood sounds very familiar. Okay, very good. I've, I've marked it down. The movie and all of that. But okay. I remember when I was reading this book, thinking, I want to be part of this sisterhood. I want, I just, this is what I want. Just a yearning. And so I told her, I would love to create this community of soul sisters, so to speak, mm -hmm. that discussed various books um, of an interfaith nature. And the beauty of Hong Kong, as you well know, <clears throat> is that it is an overall community of people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. all nationalities, mm -hmm. all faith traditions, and there's a richness in that. And I would say probably my first passion in life is that of diversity. While the average Joe sort of likes to cling to sameness, mm -hmm. I don't know why my <laughs> DNA was sort of created differently, but I just have this attraction for diversity. And then if you take that diversity one step forward, this concept of creating a unity in diversity, Mm -hmm. where our differences are beautiful and our differences are something that we can lean into and learn from each other and therefore become enriched along the process. So that sort of that diversity issue, the interfaith, um, wanting to have this sisterhood. And so my friend, she's now in Toronto. Um, did, you, did you know Ming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was, I always called Ming the grandmother of spiritual literacy. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, Ming, if you're going to listen to this. The godmother. The, I was just going to say, she's kind of she's young, but grandmother, kind of like the godfather. Oh, okay, the godmother. The godmother. Okay, <laughs> thank you. The godmother. Um, I'll try to edit that out. <laughs> that's okay. She'll, uh, a little blooper here and there is not bad. Um, so anyway, she said, well, why don't you? And then I said to her, 
And then I'd like to discuss the books that I'm reading. I just, I'm a collector of books. Some women mm. buy shoes and whatever. I'm, I buy, my, my, my passion is buying books. And even a greater passion is actually reading half of them. <laughs> I'm just good. I mean, you know, people who've watched this in the background, they know I'm just uh, some of my bookshelf right there behind me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, there's a reason why I was attracted to the book club to begin right. I mean, a book club. I mean, I was kind of like, oh, whatever we read, it's great. I just want to talk to somebody about reading. Okay, so, sorry, my light know, is. And so growing up, um, with, with my kids growing up, it was always part of our family tradition that we read out loud. Oh. And so every night, four kids, different rooms, sometimes crowded together, we would read aloud. And then, of course, they grew up. And I can remember, like, even when my husband and I were newlyweds, um, I asked him if we could read um, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha together out loud. And wow. we did that. And I still think back of, as that as an incredibly romantic um, very as newlyweds mm -hmm. and so this this wanting to discuss a book wanting to hear a book read out loud or at least portions of that book read out loud all sort of fell into place this the yeah yeah sisterhood in the creation of spiritual literacy group when ming said just go ahead and create it i said to her who would come? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, look yeah. at what showed up on your doorstep. <laughs> and then she said, sell it to the AWA. And I went, spiritual literacy, AWA, um, doesn't exactly feel like a fit, but I wrote to them, they said, write me a proposal. I wrote them a proposal. They said, okay, I have to give them a lot of credit. Let's try, let's see what happens yeah. 10 years later. Yeah, and you, you were one of the first people to show up on my doorstep. Yeah, well, I was, I, Joyce was already there. I think when I came in the door, I remember Joyce and you, I mean, just very vaguely because, you know, one of those things, I remember the, the very first meeting, um, and then, you know, we met so many times and I spent so much time at your home um, that it all blurs together, obviously. Kind of until the end, you know, there's the tradition. I don't know if you all still do it, but tying the string. Yeah, that's really, it's almost gonna make me cry saying it. So we won't go there just yet. We'll save tears for later. Uh, <laughs> so the other thing too, that people should know the American Women Association in Hong Kong Sounds like it would be all Americans, but it also is a diverse group of women. And for a very long time, um, up until very recently, the president had to be from the USA, but they've actually opened that up too now so that any woman can be president. Um, it's just, it doesn't, I mean, I, mean um, I think they even talked about changing the name from American Women Association to International Women, or I, I don't know if they ever did anything about that, but I know they were trying to be more inclusive and really representative of all the different women that belong to the group, so. And I'm, I'm really glad you just mentioned that because Andrea yeah. was the first non-American president and she's from Germany mm -hmm. and Priyanka um, is the second from oh, India. I don't, and I don't know her. I knew Andrea, but I didn't know, um, I don't know Priyanka. Yeah. 
and both are very active members of the um, spiritual literacy group. Oh, so that's great. I mean, the, the caliber of the women that are showing up, mm -hmm. um, both the diversity and the caliber and very, very, each one very, very different and each one bringing something so unique um, and valuable to mm -hmm. the whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you decide on the book? So you started us off um, on spiritual, uh, well, actually, kind of before we get to the books, can you share with the group, because you actually play a large role in the international, like once a year, there's a day, and I know that you are often either a guest or the guest speaker, and it's at like an international day of unity. Do you know what I'm okay. referring to? There's a couple of things. I until very recently, I served on um, a board or a steering committee called the Hong Kong Network for Religions and Peace. I think that's, yeah, what I'm thinking of. And um, I am probably the only non-clergy member mm -hmm. on, in that group. We have um, wonderful priests from St. John's Cathedral, mm -hmm. uh, the Church of England. We have rabbi. We have people from um, Buddhism, um, there's um, a, rat, a um, Muslim cleric who, although he doesn't serve on the board, I've become very close to him. He um, is in charge of the um, Kalun Mosque. Oh, cool. In fact, um, one of my, you know, sort of highlight experiences in Hong Kong was during the, you know, that there was this terrible bombing in a mosque in New Zealand. Mm, yes. Um, they had this call to prayer, an international um, interfaith event to mourn for those, mm. um, those victims. And so all these men were up front and all of the men were, you know, of the different faiths were asked to come and to speak or to say a prayer or whatever. I was in the back of course, I had my head um, covered because that's expected when, you know, women enter a mosque. <clears throat> and this particular um, imam saw me and he smiled and he went to the microphone and invited me up front to say a few words. <clears throat> I represent the Baha'i faith. Um, that, that's my faith tradition. So on behalf of the Baha'is to say a few words and to say and to share a prayer, but I was the only woman in that entire um, event. That's that so fantastic to, to say something and to pray. Yeah, that, that, that's a testimony to him more than it is to me. Well, I think it's a testimony to the whole calling, you know, and recognizing that you do have a great gift to share, and that you, um, you know, at a time when you could have been like, oh no, no, thank you, you know, you girded your loins and got up there and did what you had to do. Um, and a great testament to him. But I think I really, you know, showcasing your, um, just your involvement in the interfaith community there in Hong Kong and your, I don't know necessarily your expertise per se, that's not maybe the word I'm looking for, but uh, because I admire you, you know, and I just admire how much you have responded passionately to this life that you've been called to do and have answered so fully. So that's something I just wanted our audience to know as well. well how about a few words about the Baha'i faith? Many people might not be familiar with that. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about your own spiritual journey. 
they don't have to use the word journey because that kind of gets used a lot. <laughs> well, I, I come from a Roman Catholic background. I grew up a Catholic. Um, and then um, I sort of, in college years, fell into sort of um, a more of a charismatic Christianity, um, which I was involved in, in um, college years and then later in Bible studies and that sort of thing. Um, and then I joined the Peace Corps. Oh, that's right. In my early 20s and went to Chile. And because I am a social worker, I worked in a girl's orphanage. And it was in Temuco, Chile, that I came across this community of Baha'is that invited me to these prayer brunch mornings on Sunday mornings. And I was a little bit dubious about the whole thing, but I thought these are nice people, you know, they mean well. I'll <laughs> my Bible in my hand. And I said, I'm happy to come to your prayer meetings as long as I can read from the Bible. And they said, sure. And to make a very long story short, I got to know these people intimately. I was very attracted to the quality of their marriages. They believe in the equality of men and women. Um, they truly led marriages and made decisions, you know, with this equal, this, this consulta consultation type um, process where both husband and wife made the decision together. Um, I just was impressed with um, sort of the Baha'is that I befriended, they were very scientifically oriented, very intelligent, and yet deeply spiritual. Mm -hmm. I like sort of the head-heart, mm -hmm. you know. For sure. And I, thought, and I thought of myself in that way. And so um, I ended up just reading their writings, reading some of their books, coming back to books. Yeah. Uh, and it, it did two things. First of all, it, it really, um, the Baha'i writings extolled Jesus Christ, which of course was important to me. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that they wrote about him was so beautiful that that sort of like made me relax. Mm -hmm. The second part of the writings were, it sort of summed up what I always naturally believed. Mm -hmm know that there was a, a faith out there that taught that and when when I say what I naturally believe that there was one God and that all the major religions the God of all the major religions was the same God <laughs> but just a different expression <clears throat> and that these religions at their essence <clears throat> teach the same spiritual truth mm -hmm. but that they're um that maybe in a manner that has to do more with the time and the culture mm -hmm. the place of where it was revealed. So it takes on that sort of cultural aspect. But if you, if you really do do a deep dive into these holy scriptures, they basically teach you the same thing, how, how to love your neighbor as yourself, how to live a good life, mm -hmm. how to live a virtuous life, how to live you know in alignment with god and the holy spirit and all of these religions basically have that same fundamental teaching so 
that was the attraction for me, the people themselves and the teachings. And that was 40 years ago. That's amazing. You know, you mentioned the word alignment. And so I'll share with our uh, listeners that before Kate and I started recording, we spent, I spent about 20 minutes trying to figure out why my headphones weren't working. I, I could hear Kate, but she couldn't hear me, the microphone. We started and stopped several times, rebooted computers, the whole thing. And uh, I was getting more and more worked up about it. As the host, you want everything to go smoothly. You want your guests to have a great experience. You don't want to take, you know, waste people's time. So my own energy was kind of getting ramped up. And so by the time everything worked, I was a little, um, as my friend Anne would say, I was a little activated. And so I was laughing with Kate and I was telling her, another friend of mine, Marianne, uh, had once said to me, like, you know, when you get all that energy going, I, you know, it's just too much. And Kate did this really beautiful, amazing thing. Uh, so when, um, I don't know if we always started this way, Kate, with meditation at the SLG. I, I think we, uh, in the beginning, I remember, maybe we did, but I remember uh, we would have a reading and we would go around and everybody would read something, but I don't know if we always had a meditation. Can you recall? If we started always had a smaller meditation, but that always did go into more of a devotional, a very short devotional, which I would find interfaith passages, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sacred writings from the different yeah. traditions on the same topic. Yeah, and then we read a couple of you know sentences to a paragraph. And well, in this, very- I'm sorry, it was very nice. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so at some point, though, we um, Kate started really leading us into these beautiful meditations. They were never very long. I mean, it was, you know, two minutes, three minutes, what have you. And, um, and so as my energy was kind of, you know, ramping up here, she's like, you know what we need to do? We need to take a minute and let's just do a guided meditation. So for this beautiful minute, Kate walks me through this real, of course, lovely meditation. And part of that meditation was about aligning with the higher self and the higher being, but also then the two of us being connected so that we can have a really fun and interesting interview. And um, that was just, um, you know, not everybody can do that. You know, not everybody could call someone, a group together to hold a meditation like that. So I know that this has become um, your current work. Can you share a little bit with us how you learned about meditation, um, what, how you meditate? I mean, just anything for people who don't know about meditation, what would you like to share with them? Interesting. Okay, meditation has become part of my daily practice, but I must say that um, my, my practice includes prayer and meditation and reading from holy writings. Okay. So there's, there's a three-pointed part. I've actually added a fourth recently. I'm not gonna go into that, into that but some breathing exercises okay. because I'm starting to see the value of breath and really concentrating on breath, but let's you know leave that. So meditation, I find there's so many different kinds of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, on a very very basic level, meditation really is just um, becoming conscious of the here and now, this mm-hmm. moment that we're in, 
not our minds, you know, going over and over about what's going to happen after this interview mm-hmm. or what happened leading up to this interview, mm-hmm. but this very moment. So there's a consciousness awareness that meditation brings you. And then there is that alignment that we talk about, that alignment of, okay, I'm here. I I like to think of it as our caterpillar selves are usually what's operating in the world, but we also have this butterfly self that we need to activate. (laughs) We only do that if we're consciously aware of the moment and how we're behaving and that we take a pause. Sumon Kid, right? Was that a Sumon Kid book that we read? Exactly. Yeah. That's 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 exactly. And then um, and then that there is this higher power that we want to become, have our individual lives become aligned with. Because what's the reason for that? We activate our wisdom. We are more loving and kind to ourselves and to each other. We create i mean we we embrace happiness and joy and basically isn't that what everybody wants and it sure is is a tool is a tool to to do that so if um, somebody was just starting to meditate you know if you said you know what what would be one way they could get started like sitting in a quiet room or do you have music um you know what would be one for like if they want to just I, you know, one of the things I hear from people is it's very difficult. I can't quiet my mind. I can never sit still for that long. And I'm actually going to tell a little story about that in a minute. But just in general, if somebody's like, okay, Mary Barber and Kate are talking about meditation, I'm going to try it. What, what would be a simple way that they could just do something for 60 to, you know, one to two minutes, 60 seconds? I would say start with your breath. Okay. Being quiet is important. Mm-hmm. Because taking that pause, if you don't take the pause, you will just completely habitually run as you always do. And that's in your caterpillar mode. Mm -hmm. If you take that pause, and a very, very simple technique is just for 10 seconds, focus on your breath. Mm. Just in um... conscious seconds to be aware that in this moment, I'm breathing 10 breaths. Mm-hmm. That consciousness alone will start to make a difference. That's, and it's really easy. I mean, this is something you can do driving, walking, sitting at your desk, making dinner, doing the laundry. Like, I'm, you know, not that you have to be doing something, you know, we're not talking about multitasking, but this is a place where right in the middle, you can just be like, all I have to do is think about breathing 10 times. If you're driving to work and getting anxious about the day, if you're driving home from work and feeling anxious about the day, you know, instead just focus on your breathing in and out for 10 times. And why are you doing that? It's so that you can be truly present in this moment Mm -hmm. because our minds just hijack us. Yes, they do. Worrying about what happened in the past or worrying about what's going to happen in the future that you miss out on the sacredness and the beauty of life right before you. And that's, that's the gift. Mm-hmm. And it's also the tragedy that you don't see the gift in this moment. My husband and I just watched this Pixar film last night called Soul. Oh. And um, Hong Kong has just started opening 
you know, it's society again, restaurants are opening, the cinema just opened. So exciting. And I didn't care what we saw, but it came down <laughs> to between this animation or Wonder Woman. And oh. I'm a Wonder Woman kind of guy. But yeah. I thought, yeah. okay. I had no idea what I was going, we were seeing. It's a beautiful film, not a children's animation, although, you know, children can enjoy it. But the whole thrust of it was he was thinking he was trying to find his purpose. And then he realized that true meaning and true joy and true soulfulness was in truly appreciating and enjoying the moment. Ah, that sounds great. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's what meditation does. Slows you down, gives you that pause to be present. I really, I I love you talking about this. Um, And it brings back a beautiful memory for me. And it will for you too, because Kate and I went on a silent retreat to the... (laughs) Some people were silent, Mary Barbara. (laughs) So, of course, she's like pointing the finger at me, but let me just tell you. So this is very funny. So first of all, Kate's like, I want to go do the silent retreat. And right away, I'm like, well, we're not going to talk. I mean, how can that be? We're going to spend three days together and no talking. I don't really think we can do it. Um, but you didn't have to be silent the whole time. They had sacred silence at different times, like at mealtime and so forth. And I think sacred silence started at dinner time, and then it went all night and then through breakfast. And then after breakfast, we were released from it and um, could talk and so forth. But the very first night, you know, and we're uh, staying in these little, um, just little cottages, kind of little buildings, and it's very sparse. I mean, it's a, um, what kind of place was that? A Buddhist monastery, right? It was a little Buddhist monastery up there on Nongping. And, um, but it's so very humble and very sparse. And you had to, the latrines and everything were in a different building and the showers and whatnot. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Here? Yeah, yeah. It's actually Thich Nhat Hanh's um, Plum Village in oh. Hong Kong. Oh, that's Thich right. Hanh's major place is, of course, outside of Paris. It's in France. But then his followers established this. It, it's actually a nunnery because it's where the women. Thank you. I'm so glad you like put all that in there because it was uh, escaping me at the moment. I could just remember these buildings and where it was. Uh, so it was a nunnery and they grew their own food and it was really amazing. Um, so hilarious to me, kind of hilariously, the first night we're staying in these, in a room where there's a couple of beds and I don't really remember the other women that were there, but Kate's bed is like this and my bed is like this. So I'm sleeping kind of at Kate's feet and we're both very good about being quiet. We're not really talking a few whispers here and there. That's the first night. The second night we get in there, there's a little bit more whispering. And the third night we're like, so anyway, so much for silence like we just had had all we could have and at one point I remember going for coffee at Starbucks or something and just having a bottle oh we got tired and we were like all right I'm done with this let's get out of here and we took the uh the cable cars back we were I just remember being exhausted but what so really what I remember though 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 is the meditation piece and the beginning um that first night we were there and I actually bought a song book um but the song was breathing in Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. It's like this simple little song um, teaching us about breathing in and breathing out and, and the meditation. And then we had maybe the next morning, we had like an hour meditation. I did not. 
<laughs> I could do it. Like, but what happened is you're there for so long, eventually you run out of things to mull over and you get, and it's so quiet and you are focused on your breathing that, um, actually I'm saying you, but I mean me, that's what happened to me, that I actually was able to float off into this other place. We did a meditative walk. I mean, it was really just an astonishing weekend. It was really beautiful. I'm so glad you invited me to do that. But I had to laugh at the silent retreat part. I've done a few of those silent retreats on my own since then. Um, and how did it go? Could you be quiet? Yeah, I can. No, I'm kidding. I can't be quiet with you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why we got yelled at in the board meeting. That was a whole, that's a whole different story. That was sort of funny. Um, yeah, Kate and I've had some really delightful times together. We always say, you know, Kate and I, funny enough, actually haven't spoken to each other in probably a good 18 months, uh, at least I would say. It was probably shortly after my surgery, you and I spoke. And then, you know, life just takes us on its on its merry way and we get involved. And um, so I, Kate and I set up a phone call a few days ago and it sounded just like this. Like I had just seen her last week for, you know, lunch or something. And it wasn't like, so how are you? What are your kids doing? You know, we're just right where we're soul sisters. So I know that you brought a book to bring, uh, to talk about today for our interview. And so introduce it, tell us what inspires you about it. Tell us everything you'd like us to know about this delightful book. So go ahead and show me the cover one more time. So I get the name of it. Oh, when I should know that's right. When things fall apart. Mm -hmm. And Pima. <laughs> all right. Well, that's why I was thinking that it was so perfect, Mary Barbara. You were you were a little bit concerned about things not working. Yes. You began and I was like, what a perfect way to start um, a discussion on when things fall apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As we get the real and, life uh, example. Yeah, and this is for those who don't know the author, it's Pema Children. And Pema Children, I would say she's about the same age as the Dalai Lama now. Um, she's, she's in her mid 80s, mm -hmm. but she's an American, was born in um, New York was educated in very good schools. Um, I know she got, did her graduate degree at Berkeley. And she became the first Buddhist monk, ordained female Western Buddhist monk in the, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Wow. And she's written, I was gonna say a dozen books, but I'm sure it's more like two dozen books. And um, she became sort of very well known when Oprah invited mm. her to her to interview her on her soul series. And um, like Tikdan Han, I'm sure she's, you know, in a very similar tradition, similar Tikdan Han's also, um, I believe, Tibetan Buddhist and um, very humble, down to earth but deeply spiritual people. Um, and their main message really in life is that people are innately good and um, have innate wisdom. And that it's actually the experiences that we have in this present moment that leads us to our goodness and to our wisdom and becomes our teachers. That's the path. What happens in this moment 
when life is falling apart is the teacher and the way and the path. I see. (laughs) (laughs) You know, again, on, on that, that concept of when things fall apart, that really is the main message going in and out of this book that life is like the, the waves of the ocean. They come in and they go out. They come in and they go out. And so what she says is that life is constantly falling apart. And what we should do in those moments is to just sit with them, give it some space to both teach us, they become our teachers, what, what can I learn about this situation? What, how can I remain calm in this situation? Because with the knowledge that the tide will go back out and that mm. this too will pass. And I that see. we don't need to be constantly like this when life falls apart because it's part of life. Life will continuously fall apart and it will continuously get better. We'll continuously <laughs> fall apart. We'll, and that we need to just become. But she has techniques on how to do that. I love that. And this book, I mean, you, I usually ask people where they can get the book. It's something you could just get on Amazon or does uh, she have a website? Or? This is a bestseller. I think it's very easy. I mean, we can even pick it up in the in the bookstore in Hong oh, okay. Kong. All right. So well, people aren't really going out to bookstores at the moment if they were going oh, to order. Definitely, definitely Amazon okay. you know, or, or your local. I'm a real like support your local um, bookstore. Kind well, that's of what I was wondering if she had a website. I mean, or if it was available <laughs> through. Uh, well, I, have a little, I have a little story to tell you. Um, Excellent. Regarding her foundation and her website. So my son is married to a young Korean. They've been married now, I think they've just celebrated their second wedding anniversary. Wow. And her life as with all of our lives in this pandemic, right, have been falling apart. And um, her life particularly because in getting married, she left, they they met in Hong Kong and then Jacob went to um, the United States where he went to college and got a job and then she joined, they married there and they stayed. So she left her family, left her home, US, um, you know, cultural experience, pandemic hits, nobody speaks her language, she has no friends, life was definitely falling apart. And to want to be a good mother-in-law <clears throat> to support her, I thought this is a perfect book. So <clears throat> her, she prefers to read in Korean as opposed to English, understandable. Sure. And I see on her website that her books, Pema Children's books have been- um, Translated. Different, and I see that Korean was one of the translations. So I, get on my, you know, email and I email off to the foundation, hey, you know where I could find one of Pema's, you know, when things fall apart in Korean. And the secretary or whoever answers the emails says, I have one on my desk that I'm happy to sell to you. Fantastic. Um, And she says, I'll even wrap it for you. And what she does and 
freely sends it. And we end up having this lovely sort of conversation over the month over this lovely book. And I made a, uh, a contribution to them because I was just so, so moved by their kindness um, and their concern for Sook, you know? Sure, sure. Now this book is like in Sook's hands and she's enjoying reading it. And I bought a copy for each one of my kids. I constantly do this. When I find a book that's really been meaningful for me, yes, uh, you know, on Amazon, six copies, it goes out, you know, yeah, yeah. Whether they read it or not, it does, well, that, exactly, and you know that that kind of lends itself to the idea that we want that, um, you know, the seed is planted and we all take turns watering and being the sunshine and helping it grow. Uh, and this has been a theme a little bit in several of my previous conversations with people. Um, you know, we don't often get to see the end result, but all of us are helping each other get to that end result to blossom and become. And, you know, so sending books that don't make any sense right now. You know, I, I sent my daughter a book, she got a promotion. And so we sent her Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends, How to Win oh, Friends and Love that's People. A book. It is, it is. She would not have appreciated that book a year ago. It, she would have been like, uh, it's holding my, you know, I put my coffee cup on it. But now with her new position, it's something that is meaningful. You know, the teacher, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So all those things, I think, you know, no matter what we send our kids, eventually they'll, if they're smart, they'll watch, they'll read it or watch it or whatever. Did you have some um, passages that you wanted to share out of that book or was there, what, uh, what else would you like us to? Well, um, I chose this book for our spiritual literacy group. And unlike other book groups, this is not exactly a book group. Right, we, right. We, we went through two chapters, um, a session. We meet twice a month. So, you know, how many, I don't know how many, um, how many chapters are there in this book? Let me just have a quick, you know, 20 so. So, mm. which means um, we would have gone through this book, three, took three months to go through. Uh, okay. Dive. And um, so, yeah. And I chose this book because when things fall apart, I mean, look at the pandemic. If ever there was a time when we are all, each one of us in our own way, are living in a time of uncertainty. Yes. And, um, which Pema calls groundlessness, where the rug has been literally pulled out from underneath us. That's a great and, word. How do we navigate that? Can I How ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kate. I would like to ask you, when was this book written? And does she talk about what inspired her to write this book? Yes, it does. Um, I believe this book is 20 years old at least. Okay. And she wrote it um, after she discovered her second marriage was being dissolved. Oh. Her, she talks about her husband coming home and telling her that he wants a divorce, that he's having an affair, he was in love with someone else. And she said she, she was completely blindsided, didn't see it coming, um, and was, you know, both enraged and full of self-loathing and self-pity, and was in a very dark place. Mm -hmm. um, now, I have to ask you a side question because this shows uh, my how much I don't know. She's 
a monk, but she's married? Did she become a monk after her second marriage? Or you can be a monk and be married? How does, do you know how that works? I don't know specifically how it works, but I know that in the Buddhist tradition, you know, she's not only a Tibetan Buddhist, she's a particular, you know, form of Tibetan Buddhist because they all have different, you know, traditions. I see. So I know that that there are monks and there's what they call householders and the householders are allowed to be married, but she's not married. After her second divorce, she had was not um, at that time involved with Buddhism and and any. Okay, that's what I was wondering. So this is something that came post the second divorce. I got you now. Okay. she, She learned about it, got deeply involved in it and got into a discipleship um experience so this is the reason i'm sort of investigating a little bit here is because if she is about the age of the dalai lama which would be let's just say 80 and this and she became a um a monk so mid 80s she became a monk after her second um marriage dissolved and and from your perspective it may have been about 20 or 25 years ago oh no no longer than that I, th- I think she became a monk ab- about the age of 40. Okay. So, but to, still to this point, you know, there's so, for all of us as women, you know, it's never over. There is this ongoing opportunity to continue growing and learning and developing and becoming so many other things. You know, I, my last guest that I just had on, Dominique, uh, she's my private detective friend. Um, you know, she is, she just had one kid. She had an 18 year old just move out. And she was saying, you know, she's clinging to her 11 year old because she's all suddenly facing life after kids. And what does that look like? And what is she going to do? And, you know, as, um, as we get older and we see just how young we truly are when we're 40, (laughs) if only we'd known how young we were at 40. Um, but I, you know, I just love it that um, my cousin that I interviewed, Lynn, she's going back to school to finish her degree. She's in her mid forties, but again, the same thing, her kids are growing up, going to college. So just a word for anybody out there listening. Um, it's never over, you know, till it's, till it is over, but until that very moment, you've got a big life out there that you can investigate and do anything you want with. All right. So I just wanted to sidestep a little bit about Pima. Uh, Pema and kind of get a little bit more background on her. So you were talking, so her, um, the word she was using is groundless and she's inspired to reevaluate her life after her second marriage falls apart. But this is the word for where she becomes with that idea groundless and begins to maybe write this book or um, I'm not sure. I kind of cut you off at a bad point there. So sorry. So she's after that second marriage. Okay. Well, I think that when we are experiencing a place of pain and suffering, um, often we are our own worst critic and judge. Mm -hmm. And one of her very central themes in this book, which has been very meaningful to me, was this, um, the the Tibetan Buddhists have a a term for it, they call it Maitri. But really what it is, is befriending the self. Can it's, you say that term again? So I, I just- It's I'm called Maitri, M-A-I-T-R-I. That's the Buddhist- Maitring. T-R-I. That's, the, that's their terminology, but basically what it just means 
is to honor yourself with compassion. Oh. Honor yourself. Be your own best friend. Mm -hmm. And that means when you are in a situation, we all, we all have this inner voice. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it's an inner critic, mm -hmm. an inner judge. It's an inner tormentor. I used to call mine Judge Judy. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you know. I just, so yeah. She says that the beginning of all of this is in not listening to this voice and starting to practice loving kindness, comp compassion, gentleness mm -hmm. with yourself. And what I'm, I'm discovering in, in that and, and that actually taking that on as part of my daily practice, which is part of my meditation, this cultivation, it's not narcissism. It's not, you know, like it's all about me. It's, it's this gentle um, softening of our hearts. Mm -hmm. And that what happens is that when you treat yourself with kindness, when you treat yourself with gentleness and you stop criticizing yourself and you stop judging yourself, the end result of that is you should start treating other people with more kindness. Mm -hmm. You stop judging other people. You stop criticizing other people. And what, I mean, your whole world and your relationships transform. You transform your relationship with yourself. And that transformation transforms your relationships with others. What a beautiful message. Mm. We do, I teach uh, some leadership skill classes here in the U.S. And one of the things we talk about is you can't lead other people till you lead yourself. You know, your self-awareness is so key in understanding why your world is the way it is. And until you can master how you lead yourself, it's going to be very difficult, if not next to impossible, to lead other people. And I think it's challenging, Kate, what, because one of the things I emphasize with my students is we are raised to be critical. We are raised to be the best, to be the A-plus student, who's the fastest, who's the strongest, who can read the best, who is the best math person. You know, there's always, at least in Western culture, um, this emphasis on you know, being the best. I had a conversation with somebody the other day about the fact that I was not an A student in school, despite working hard. I'm one of those students that worked hard. And when I worked hard, I would get Bs. I mean, I did get A's in some things that came naturally to, naturally to me, like my English classes or maybe even like theology, but most of my classes, math and science and so forth, history. I was a BC student, but, but I really was working. And I had friends that were so smart who never did a thing and got LA's. I mean, my, my friend, Mary Claire, is a great example of that. Did you, I would ask her in a panic, did you study for this quiz? Not really. A, Mary Barbara, did you study? Yes. C plus. <laughs> but that's not to, I mean, I'm not demeaning anybody, the C plus and the A's. I'm just saying, you know, we just were told to value these things above other things. You know, somebody important in my life once said to me, why can't you be more like the girl down the street? Oh, I, what? <laughs> because I can't. I'm not her and you're not, you know, the parent and whatever. 
so anyway, so when I think about what, how we develop this critic, especially in Western culture, can you speak to that a little bit? Do you think that self-criticism is present in all cultures, but also is there any difference that you can think of from the viewpoint of this book between Western culture and, um, for example, Asian culture? I'm not an expert at anything, but <laughs> I'm- Well, an after expert. 30 years in Hong Kong. I'm an observer. Um, I think this I and we is a very, very separate culture. It's all about me or it's all about us. And in the end, if you want to look at the bottom line, what is it that we all want? Do we all want to be A students? Do we all want it to be about me? Or do we want happiness? Do we want joy? And how do we get there? And I would say that having true and meaningful connections with others is where it's all about. And that's an emphasis on we. So if it's all about me, I think about Western culture, you know what the first thing I think of? Because I'm a social worker and mm. I work with different populations. American culture has one of the highest rates of depression mm -hmm. in the world. Think about it. You know, one of the highest rates of it's all about me and, and what you were talking about, but we have all, one of the highest rates of depression. So if I was going to work with someone like you that were just saying, oh, I, I was a B student, I'd say, okay, sit with that and ask your higher self, what did you learn from that experience? That it didn't so, matter. <laughs> no, but go back now with you're the grown up self that you are. Look back at that. Ask your higher self, what did I learn? What was my takeaway from that, from that experience? Maybe it was the B, you got a B, but what else did you get? Um, oh, of course. I learned uh discipline i learned to be tenacious and persistent and uh that sometimes i do have to work harder as it were than other people but i have been just as successful in so, my life's pursuit yeah it's not just as successful more successful because what you gained was a virtue mm. it's not an a or a b it's I'm going to write that down. I'm virtuous. Developing virtues in this life. And that experience, that painful experience, became your teacher to teach you that what was really important was that you learned how to work hard and, you, and that you have a work ethic, which that is what related to your success, not the A or the B. That's an illusion. And so if you can take that one more step, and this is where, this is the other gift of Pema's book. If you can leave that, you, first of all, you sit with that experience and there's an element of sadness that you felt, you know, hurt by some of these things that people said. Just sit with the hurtness because what happens if we sit with our emotions instead of trying to, to cover them up or to have a drink to, to, you know, not to feel them. But if we actually sit with them, something happens to our heart. It begins to soften. The actual hurting softens our heart. It opens the heart. 
And that's the seed of compassion and love. And so at that point, you have compassion and love for yourself. But then what Pema suggests is that you send that compassion and out to, to actually enclose other people, all other people who have been in that situation of being misunderstood, misjudged, not feeling like they've been good enough. And you just embrace all those people and send out a prayer of compassion and well-being for all those people in, in life that were that have faced that similar circumstance. And what happens in that moment? Your heart has grown. Your heart has softened. Your heart has experienced compassion for yourself and for others. And that's where it's at. That is where it's at, Kate. You are amazing. I mean, anybody who's listening right now probably has tears in their eyes. It's This is one of the great joys of speaking with you, Kate, is you bring to the world your compassion as a social worker, your understanding of the psychology of it all, and then the spiritual fullness of, you know, marrying that heart and mind together. I mean, you can just see uh, what an incredible person you are to have, not only as a friend, but as a spiritual guide as well. Listen, um, I want to be, of course, uh, aware of your time. So we've got probably another 10 minutes left. And what I would love for you to do is share with us some passages from the book um, that you think would be of, you know, lovely for us to hear, I guess. Okay, I wish I had... um... I had actually picked something out, but I haven't. Oh. Let me, let me, okay. What Take I've a minute. Done, I've taken a few personal, after I wrote this book, I mean, <laughs> after I read this book, I, I didn't want to forget because sure. my memory is not always the best. So I actually wrote um, my personal takeaways. That Excellent. Reading. So let me just read, um, I, I wrote 15 of them. I don't, I'm, I'll just, let me just read a couple of them. Excellent, that would be great. So starting with what I said about things fall apart and come together over and over and over again, things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. Things are always in transition. It is just the same kind of normal human experience that's been happening to everyday people from the beginning of time. And then let me just, um, my, my note about formal meditation becoming a muscle memory for life. Okay. Meditation is sitting with ourselves making friends with our hopes and our fears again and again. I gained a deeper understanding that the purpose of meditation is to become awake, to become more awake in our lives, 
to let go and relax and just be with our experience. At some point, there arises an immense peace and spaciousness of simply sitting with ourselves. I practice gentleness and letting go in meditation so that I can practice it outside in the world, in my life, as things arise. That's why it's called a practice. It builds muscle memory. It's so sweet of you to share your thoughts with us, Kate, because of course they're, um, you know, they're well, I hate to say sharing your thoughts are thoughtful, uh, but it, I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, your thinking is so careful and um, not just will-o'-the-wisp, you know, I mean, it's very deep and grounded. Our, I, before we go, I want to ask you if there's anything else you want to say that I didn't get a chance to ask you about, or is there anything we didn't talk about that you hoped we would? I think the parting, um, the part, my parting word is a reflection of our relationship. Okay. And also, it's also um, a central message of um, Pema's, and that is the importance of lighting up of mm. lightening up, being that, that concept of a lightness of being. Mm -hmm. All this stuff that I'm talking about is can be really heavy and we can be really entrenched. Right, right. It's really important to laugh. Yes. And yes. see the joy in the moment. And I think what I really appreciate um, about you, Mary Barbara, I appreciate so many things about you. I, oh, well, I go on. Your mind and I love your heart. But I love that, that, you laugh freely. <laughs> yes, sometimes too freely. In life. And so I'm thinking about, Pema says, we can cultivate a sense of humor and practice giving ourselves a break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Think of meditation as an opportunity to lighten up, to have a sense of humor and fun and to relax. So true. That was I, my I love that. I love that. And I, there's, I'm not going to expand on it because there's nothing else to be said. Kate, I can't say thank you enough. And I will, what will happen is I'll um, say goodbye to the audience and I'll stop the recording and then you and I will say goodbye off the air. But I do want to thank you uh, for your time tonight and your patience when things were falling apart and for guiding me through that meditation. Also that little um, bit of spiritual guidance and healing that we did there in the middle that was really something unexpected for me I didn't uh, expect to have that come out so I thank you for that and just your sweet thoughtful intelligent amazing mind and spirit that you have shared with us tonight all right my friends so everyone else uh, have a great day mm -hmm.